this morning for the beautiful day that you've given to us. Thank you, as Verda said, and she was so right to acknowledge, Lord, the privilege that we have to be able to gather together freely and openly. May we never take for granted the grace that we have to be able to gather together. And Lord, we're in the midst of a time of great challenge against the church to keep us from gathering together and to communicate with one another and to be together and to, to, to join together. And we just thank you that you continue to give us strength and you continue to give us boldness that we may be able to do what we need to do to be strong together as the body of Christ. We pray for this nation right now and we pray, Father, for the world right now as we battle as together in this world, this pandemic that has not come from you, but it has come to kill, steal, and destroy and to stop the work of God at this critical time in the history of, your, of mankind. For we believe that Jesus is coming back soon and this is a time when the church needs to be the strongest that it can be and all this has come in some degree to stop the church. But we know that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. And so, Father, we thank you for those that are serving on the front line as they treat patients, Father, and we ask you to keep them safe and give them strength to do that. We pray, Father, for those that have been working tirelessly to come up with a, with a, with a vaccine, with a medical answer to, these, to this virus, Father, and we just continue to trust you that there will be a, vi- a vaccine that is effective. But more than that, we thank you for the blood of Christ. We thank you that Jesus bore our sicknesses on that cross over 2,000 years ago and that we have healing that's been provided for you. So we pray for that healing for everyone right now that's afflicted with this, with this virus. We pray that you would keep us safe, Father, as in the days when, when, when the death angel visited the homes in Egypt and the children of Israel placed the blood of the lamb over the doorposts. Lord, we place the blood of Christ over our homes, over this place, that the, de- that, the, that, the, that the virus, the death of that virus cannot come in and cannot steal, kill, and destroy from our households and from this house. And we thank you for that, Father. We pray for your church, that your church in this time will be bold and strong, Father. We pray that we will stand up and do what you put us here to do at this critical hour, for you've called us for such a time as this. And help us, Father, to not just try to survive, but to be overcomers for your glory and for your testimony and for your work, for there are literally thousands and thousands of souls' destiny that's at stake in this day and hour in which you placed us. Father, as we prepare to look into your word, we pray for unity. Jesus came to you and sought you and prayed the very last prayer he prayed before he went to the cross, that we may all be one. And that is our prayer today, and that can only be accomplished by your spirit together with your word. And I thank you, Father, today that my back is strong that I can stand strong and firm this morning and declare your word as you have given it to me. And so I yield myself as best I know how, Father, to your spirit and to your word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Well, we started several weeks ago. Oh, by the way, I want to comment on this. Oh, thank you, dear. Wait a minute. Excuse me. My repair lady, thank you. Thank you, dear. Okay, I got it. I know where it goes. Been doing it for 20 years. Thank you. 
Thank you, sweetheart. All right, now I don't have to think about it. We've been, um, <clears throat> Verna made a reference to what Children's Grow was doing with the, the uh, Advent calendar. And several years ago, I really felt God kind of arrest me. He said, you know, in the, in the charismatic church, we've kind of forgotten about Advent. We grew up in a church, a denominational church that celebrated Advent. We got saved in a denominational church that celebrated Advent. In fact, we were part of it for several years. And begin to realize what we've tended to do is just Christmas is kind of a day or service we have. We celebrate Christmas. We may have some music the weeks before, and then we go on into New Year's. But we really need to be... Advent is there's a, literally a Latin word that means coming. And it's a time to prepare for Jesus' coming. And God did that. Brought, he sent John the Baptist to come and to prepare a way for the coming of the Lord. So preparation for an event is, is very important. And I say that not only to encourage you parents to participate in what Debbie has, has wonderfully put together for this Advent season for the children, but we're going to begin, and we've done this for several years now, we're going to begin next Sunday. I'm going to begin a series of messages that are an Advent series that are intended to build up to Christmas, to be prepare us together to celebrate what God did for us over 2,000 years ago in what we celebrate on Christmas Day. And so I'm going to begin a series on, on the incarnation, what it means that God became a man. And so there are just some things God has been, been stirring in me. I'm not even sure I can share them with, was it Denny or someone that I was not sure I can even, no, it's Gordon. I can't even put into words some of the things that I sense God showing me. And so I would appreciate your prayer for that because I really believe God wants to make far more real to us what it means that God became a man and dwelt among us. And it is the man, Jesus, who is in a resurrected body, is sitting on the throne next to God. And that is a representative of us before the throne of God. So we're going to talk about these things in the weeks leading up to Christmas. So, but we began a series several weeks ago uh, uh, relating to what this last prayer, John chapter 17 We've just come through a time, and we're still in a time, when, when, when in addition to the normal, uh, normal's not a good word, in addition to the typical common uh, divisions that you find within a church, we've come through a year and a season where that has been highlighted even more. So we've come through a time of racial challenges, and that's not over. Uh, but we've spent some time in this pulpit and in this church focusing on that in an effort, and I believe God is working through that effort, to bring us together so that we learn to really come together as one. And now we've come through a political season that has created, from what I understand, divisions in some families. Uh, I had a family here a few weeks ago when I began to talk about this, uh, talked to me about it afterwards, because just how this, this election has pulled them apart. I've gotten several emails uh, and comments from people, uh, especially as I was talking about racial issues, and then even as I was addressing elections, saying, Pastor, you know, you really shouldn't be taking sides. And I thought about that. That's completely missing the point. And if you were one of those, I understand. But that shows how we don't understand. In the body of Christ, there are no sides. To say there's sides is to say there's a division. So we have the left side, or from your perspective, the right side of the congregation, and we have the left side of the congregation, and a division down the middle, and that's not the body of Christ. So we need to, we need to renew our mind, because we've allowed these issues 
to do just what they did in the day of Paul, divide the body of Christ. And we talked for several weeks ago about the church in Corinth which was being divided by different kinds of issues, but by issues. And when Paul addresses them the same way I believe God's addressing us today. And these divisions literally tear his body apart. Paul used two words. He used division, which the Greek word literally means to tear something, to, to put a tear in it. And then the word schism, which is the Greek word schisma, which means, uh, uh, which means to literally take that tear and now pull it into different sections. And that's what happens with strife and division in the church. When we allow issues to become more important to us than who we are together in Christ, then Satan has won. Because we've seen where that opens a door to Satan. We saw in the church of Corinth that opened the door literally to sickness and disease and to death. And as we're facing this pandemic and the threat that that is that we see every day in the news, I don't know about you, I cannot afford to have my spiritual walls down to give Satan an opportunity to come in. I can't afford that. And, and you can't either, and the church can't either. And Satan sucker punches us with these issues that they may be important to you, but they're, they're nowhere near as important as what's the most important thing to Jesus. So we saw several weeks ago, as we looked in John 17, when Jesus is praying to his Father, the last thing he talks to his Father about. So that means it must be the most important thing on his heart before he goes to the cross and then transfer, trans, transitions everything to the church, is John 17, 20. If you'd put that verse up. I don't pray for these alone, but for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. Verse 21 that they all, all, all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. We'll stop there. So the most important thing on Jesus' heart before he goes to the cross to pay for your salvation and my salvation is that we and not just in this building, but the church might be one. We're going to talk today, we, we, we saw some applications, some things that, where Paul uses in, in bringing this correction to the body at, of Christ at Corinth. We saw that Paul uses the example of the human body. And it's a marvelous example because we all have one, we're familiar with it. We walk in this oneness every day. And Paul was using that oneness that we're aware of to teach us how Christ sees us. Because just as you see your body as one, Christ sees us as one. Just as you need your body functioning together, each individual part with each difference and different functioning, functioning together as one. So Christ needs every part of his body, you and me, functioning in this oneness in order for him to do what he's put us here to do. And so we saw Paul use that example. And as what we're going to talk about today is we're going to look at the practical applications of this. Because it's easy to sit in church or watch online 
It's easy to be there and to say, yes, I could. that's what the Scripture... You can't argue with it. That's what Jesus said. Well, you can argue with it, but you'll be wrong. That's what Jesus said. So we can sit in church and say, yes, pastor, right, I'm with you, that's right. But how do I apply that going out the door? How do I apply that when I go home? And I I might be dealing with kids that are not spiritually where they need to be. Or I have to go to work and I've got a boss who's difficult to deal with. Of course, if you work here, that's not the case. (laughs) Hopefully. How do we we live this out? Well, we're going to talk about that because after Paul gives this principle, he begins to mess with their lives and talk about issues in our lives and how that either is walking in this oneness or it's not. And as we go through these verses, and we're going to look at very specific things, they're opportunities, and as you live them out, and maybe this week some of these will come back to you as you find yourself facing this situation, these become opportunities to first of all reveal, am I really walking in this oneness that Christ prayed for, or do I still need to grow in this area? And we all do. We all do. But before we do that, as I was preparing this, and I get these thoughts sometimes, it's just that legal mind of mine, I guess, it is, uh, there's a difference between unity and oneness. I'll kind of let this sink in. Unity is good. We need to have unity, but it's not enough. Because unity can be of our mind. We can be unified on a purpose. So we can be of all one mind. We all agree, you know, we all agree politically. We, we all want, want, wanted Trump to win or we all wanted Biden to win. We can all, take that issue. We can all be in unity on that. But that doesn't mean we're one. Because you can have unity in mind and be divided in heart. But oneness, I better read what I wrote. This is all in my notes. So if you ever want to go back and look at it, download the notes because I put it all, put a lot of work into making sure that's, that's there. Unity can be a mental agreement. We're all of the same mind, but not necessarily one heart. We can be 500 individuals here and be unified about something, be in agreement. But that doesn't mean we're one. Oneness, and this is what I wrote down, oneness means that we're together, together we are part of something or someone that's bigger than we are. And that may sound like a a, a silly distinction to you, but it's a very significant distinction. Because the answer to this is that, you want me, Alan? Okay. The answer to this is, is we do not see ourselves to, see, if, if we're just unified about something, then we're the ones that are in control and we're the ones that, as an act of our will, have decided to be in agreement. But that means I can change my mind and decide to disagree with you and pull away. But if we're one, we're one because together we're part of someone that's bigger than we are. And therefore, if I'm going to pull away from you, I've got to pull away from him also. 
I'm going to go slow on this because this is important. Because Jesus uses this in John 15 to explain what he's praying for, going to pray for in John 17. Jesus says, I am the vine and each of you is a branch in me. Abide in me. John 15, 6 says, If you do not abide in me, you're cast out as a branch. So the branch and the vine speak of the oneness. The oneness. So you could theoretically pile up a bunch of branches in one space, and they're in one space. They're unified in one space, but they're no longer part of the vine. See, what binds us together is not that we agree. What binds us together is not that we like each other. What binds us together is not that we all belong to Faith Christian Center or His Providence Church or Water Church or whatever. What binds us together is that we have been spiritually joined to Christ and we are part of His body just as much as my right hand is part of my body as my left hand is part of my body. So my identity with you comes through the one that I'm joined to and you're joined to. That's so important. Because when that's true, nothing can divide us. When we're unified around a principle or an idea or a teaching or a doctrine, we can disagree about it and therefore split up. That's what a church split is. When a church has allowed some issue to break up this union. That's what Paul was saying when he said, wait a minute, some of you say you're of Apollos, some of you say you're of Paul, some of you say you're of somebody else. Has Christ been divided? You're dividing yourself around the teaching that you're following. And you don't understand. That's not what joins you together. What joins you together is you are part of Christ, literally, literally part of Christ's body. We are His hands, His feet, His mouth, His words, His look. We are His body in the earth today. Part of His body is in New, in New Jersey. Part of His body is spread out all over the world. Part of His body's already gone before us. That's what Hebrews 12 says. They're looking over the banister of heaven, rooting us on. Part of the body of Christ that's grown up here is there. Pastor Sam and others that have gone on before us. People that have meant so much to us. Mary Ann Brown. They're there rooting us on. They're part of the same body. So part of it's there, part of it's here. But when we recognize that oneness means that I'm one with you only because I'm one with Him and you're one with Him. Then the only thing that can divide us is Him. And He'll never do that. And that's what allows us to maybe not agree about certain things, but still be one. So we often talk about it, well, okay, we can agree to disagree. But somewhere down in the heart, there's a division that gets in there. And we talked about that several weeks ago because when that tear is pulled apart and now that, that sheet that I used up here, now it's two separate sheets. Now that 
tear, that division has gotten down in the heart. So every time I see you, I see you as someone separate from me. There's something between us. I may never come out. I may, I may, you know, shake hands with you when I can do that. I may hug you. I may pray for you. But somewhere inside, there's a little bit of a wall there with you. There's no oneness there. There's a oneness in mind. There's a oneness with our body, but there's not a spiritual oneness. And this is what Jesus prayed for that was absolutely vital for the world to know who he is. And that's why we're here. And this is what Satan worked so hard at. And this is what we've been talking about for a while. All right. So let's begin to look at how Paul does this. So Paul has a pattern for his writings. It's not in every letter, but it's in many of the letters. Especially the churches where he's addressing an issue, uh, like in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Uh, in Ephesians, he's doing a little more teaching. But he starts out, he's really trying to deal with some issues in the church at Ephesus. And he starts out with the first half of the letter, reminding them of who they are. And essentially, he's reminding them that we all came to Christ the same way, by His grace. None of us came to Him because we chose Him, because we were so smart. None of us came to Him because we were clever. We came to Him because He called us and we responded to the call. And He brought us together as one. Ephesians 2 talks about that because He's writing to a church that came from the Gentile world. And He's saying, you've been joined together with the Jews. You've now been able to... You are now one... You are now one in Christ. Not in unity. You are one together in Christ. That's who you are. And having done that, he now goes into chapter 4 and begins to give the practical application. Because this is who you are, act like who you are. He does that in Galatians. He does that in Romans, actually. He does it in Romans also. So we're going to pick up We've now spent time talking about that we're one in Christ. Now let's look, begin to look at that application. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. We, we read this a few weeks ago when we talked about that we've already been made one. It's not like we have to become one. We were made one. We have to defend that. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. In other words, act like who you are. with all lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. So when he's talking about lowliness and gentleness, he means towards one another. Not proud and haughty. We'll look at that in a minute. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, so that what unites us as one is the same Spirit is in you who's in me. And it's the Spirit of Christ. So we're not one because we look the same way on the outside because we certainly don't. We're not one because we have the same political convictions because many many of us don't. We're not one because we even believe some of the same things. But we're one because in spirit we've been joined together by one spirit to Christ in the spirit. And we are to defend that at all costs is is what Paul is saying here. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were all called to one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in all of you. Now we're going to jump down 
to uh, chapter to verse 24. He begins to apply this. Actually, we're going to go to verse 25. As a result of this, now he's going to talk about where we live. Put, putting away lying, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor. Why? Because we're members of one another. Notice he doesn't say, tell each other the truth because it's a good thing to do. It is. Notice he doesn't tell us, you know, tell, tell, speak truth to one another because then you don't have to worry about remembering the lie that you told to straighten that out. My mother used to tell me, it's a lot easier just to tell the truth. You don't have to remember what you said because you told the truth. That's easier to remember. But if you've told a lie, you've got to remember what was the lie I told. Your mother, mother must have told you the same thing. All right. But that's not what he says. He said, speak the truth to one another because don't you understand? You're one of one another. You're one together. So when we don't speak the truth to one another, we're lying to ourselves. We're lying to Christ. See, Paul's trying to teach us the way you treat each other is the way you're treating Christ because your brother is Christ just as you are Christ to your brother because we're part of the same body. I want you to see, you begin to get a hold of the image. This is who we are. It will change how you treat each other and how we treat ourselves also. Okay. Verse 26. Be not angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. In other words, deal with the anger. Sometimes you just can't help getting angry about something. Okay, but don't let it go. Because that anger is a division between you and your brother between you and another part of Christ's body. So deal with it. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Verse 27, nor give place to the devil. Anything that divides us gives an opening to Satan. We just talked about that a few minutes ago. Think in those terms. So we think, we think in, our, in terms of the flesh, well, they did this to me. How can they believe that? How can they vote for so-and-so? How can they, don't they understand this? All of those are thoughts that are of the flesh. And Satan wants us thinking about and dominating by our flesh because our flesh can't overcome him. Because Paul says the weapons of our warfare against Satan are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Your issue is not with your brother or sister in Christ that doesn't agree with you. We wrestle against spiritual forces in heavenly places. It's a spiritual battle. That's why I tried to tell you when we started talking about the election. Ultimately, the election, ultimately, the racial issues, ultimately, all these have a spiritual, spiritual force and goal behind them. And in order to deal with these, we've got to be willing to step back and look at them from what is going on spiritually here. What, what spirit is behind that? Because if I get engaged in that, I'm cooperating with that spirit and I'm opening the door to that spirit into my life. So whatever cause becomes your cause, make sure you've discerned what spirit, and there are only two out there, what one's behind that. 
Because as you commit your heart to that cause, you're opening your heart to that spirit that's working through that cause. Say, my Christian, that can't happen. Jesus said it could happen. So we need our spiritual eyes open to what's going on. And to realize these things, and we're not going to have time to get through all of these things today, but these things are issues of the flesh that poke at our flesh. Satan wants us to respond in the flesh and not recognize what's spiritually going on here. We've got to move on. Verse 28, don't steal from each other, but work to labor to have something to give. He's, you know, I was thinking this as was, we were getting ready this morning. Well, obviously we shouldn't steal from each other. So I shouldn't come and take your iPhone out of your purse or something like that. No. But there are other ways we steal without taking things. You have a gift or a talent that God gave you to serve in the body of Christ. And you say, well, you know, who am I? I don't have time. And you're holding that gift back. That's stealing. Because that gift was not given to you for your benefit. It was given to you for the benefit of Christ's body. And when you withhold it, you're stealing the benefit of that. God had to deal with me about something this week about that. Verse 31 talks about, and we're just not going to go through all these specific things we can put in our heart about strife and things, similar things to that. Let's go to um, Romans chapter 12. Just, uh, these, the verses here, there's so many practical things. Just read through Ephesians 4 and it will give you a whole list of these things. But let's go now to uh, Romans chapter 12. Verse 3. For I say to you through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So he starts to think about how you see yourself. Notice he says, think as the, as through the grace that's been given to me, to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. In other words, when we start thinking of who I am and what I can do, and why don't people do this, we are separating ourselves from him. Anything that focuses in your mind on you instead of Christ is intended to separate yourself from Him. Discouragement. I've talked about this before. Discouragement, and I understand we can all get discouraged, but at the root of it, it's selfish. I failed. Or people failed me. It's looking at me and how things have affected me instead of who I'm joined to. See, if I recall the Scriptures correctly, when I came to Christ, I died. I have been crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20, Paul wrote. I, I is the me that gets discouraged. I is the me who gets angry because somebody cut me off in traffic. I am the me who gets mad at people in public who won't wear their mask. I've got a whole new group of people I have to learn to forgive now. I go into a store and somebody's got their mask on or don't have a mask on or they got their mask down here and I want to go say something to them and I got to forgive them. I have no problem, but that one's getting under my skin now. 
So if I make a confession of that to you, then maybe that will help me with it. Alright, so anything that focuses on me, think more highly of myself than I ought to. But to think soberly, that means as God has dealt to each one of us a measure of faith. Let's go... uh, I lost my place here. Verse 24, okay. Oh, verse uh, 5. Verse 4. For we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function. That's what Paul talked about before. Again, the whole image, the whole message Paul is communicating here is we are together one body and we are different parts of that body. And just as your parts of your body, if they get into a fight with each other, you end up in the hospital. Well, when Christ's body gets into a fight with each other, His body can't function properly. And you are part of that body, and so am I. But being five, but, but we, being, member, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually, and individually members of one another. We've heard this taught, Paul uses it, when he talks about marriage in chapter 5, he talks about marriage in, in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, don't you understand that the two of you are one? The root problem, it's not every problem, but the root of most problems in marriages is that two, you've got two individuals living together and not two that have become one. Because Paul says, whatever I do for her, I'm doing for myself. Okay, I've got to move on. This is good whether you know it or not. It's good for us. Okay. All right, let's get down to verse 9. I gotta, there's so much here. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectioned to one another in brotherly love, giving honor and preference to one another. Let's go to chapter 13. Verse 8. Owe one another... Owe oh, oh, no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. If there's any commandment, if there's any other commandment, they're all summed up in this. Namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We need to meditate on that. What do, I do, what do I do each day that shows love for myself? I'm just thinking this now as it's coming to me. What do I do every day that shows my love for myself? I'm in a good love. It's not that, you know, what do I do to take care of myself? What do I do to make sure I'm taken care of? What do I do to, to I'll give you one example. What we tend to be very hard on other people and easy on our, and forgiving on ourselves well, they should do this and they should not do that and they should not do this. But, but you know, I, I'm trying hard. So we look at our intentions and we look at each other's performance. So maybe we should look at others with the same grace that we give ourselves. I mean, that's, you just need to meditate on that. How do I love myself? How do I show love for myself every day that I'm not showing for my wife or not showing for my brothers in Christ 
that I'm not showing for them. Because Jesus said, love one another as you love yourself. And some of you say, well, I, don't, I have a problem with myself. I don't love myself. Oh, yes, you do. Because you think about yourself all the time. We've got to move on. We've got to move on. Verse 8. Verse... Uh, verse 10. Love shows no harm to your neighbor. Think about that. Love shows no harm to your neighbor. No harm. No harm. I know stories that Brother Hagen told about when he was a traveling evangelist, which was most of his ministry. And he stayed in a home with somebody that, a pastor. And in those days, they didn't, he didn't stay in a hotel, he stayed in the pastor's home. And they came, they arrived one morning, and they, they stayed the day, the pastor was gone all day. And then they, he came back in time for, for the meetings. And he figured they'd take them to dinner, get something to eat before the meal, before the meeting, and they didn't. And so after the meal, he figured we'll take them out and get us something because they haven't eaten all day. And instead, he brought them back, said goodnight to them. They went into their bedroom, and Brother Hagen and Aretha went into their bedroom. He said, well, okay, that was interesting. So the next morning, he said, well, there'll be breakfast for us. They were gone when he got up. <laughs> Nobody came home all day. The pastor came back in time for the evening meeting. No supper, picked them up. Same routine. Took them out. Afterwards, well, at least they'll give us something to eat. And he took them back home. So the next morning when he got up, he went to the refrigerator to see what he could find, and it was like a hot dog. And so they split the hot dog. They haven't had nothing to eat in three days. Now he's getting angry. And he was part of a denomination, and he knew the district director. He said, I'm going to call him and let them know what he's done, because this is wrong. And his wife said, yeah, go do that. So he went and picked up the phone. A few minutes later, he comes back. She said, what did the director say? He said, I couldn't, I couldn't call him. He said, why? He says, because even though he's wrong, I'm telling on him. And God will take care of him. But I'm not going to be the cause of it. He did that three different times. He said, this man, eventually, God will deal with him. But I'm not going to be the cause of that. He had another situation where, oh, God, I think it was in the same, same church, there was a member of the church that owned a hotel. He said, well, if I say something to him, he'll put me up. But if I do that, then he's going to think ill of this pastor. I'm not going to do that. See, the extent he went to to make sure he did no ill or harm to someone's reputation, maybe there's a reason why he walked in divine health besides his faith. We've got to move on quickly. I'm sorry this is broken up because there's just so much in here and I don't have the time to go, to go through this. Let's go to chapter 14. It really gets into where we live today. Um, receive one another who is weak in faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. Oh, there's so much in here. Think of the issues we've been going through. The political issues that have divided families and churches. Think, think of this. The word receive is a Greek word that means to take into your home as, as if they were yours to invite a stranger into your home and to take into your home and treat them as if they were part of your own family. So receive one who is weak in faith. But don't dispute over doubtful things. 
the Greek word for doubtful things there is a word having differing opinions about what is right or true. So what Paul is saying there is the person that you disagree with over some issue, receive them as if they were part of your own family. Take them in to your heart as if they were part of your own family and do not let disputes over doubtful issues, over, over things you disagree with about what's true or not, your opinions. Go on, we've got to go through here quickly. For he who believes... Well, I'm not going to go through those particular issues because what he's going to get to... The issues in that day are different than they are today. The issues in that day, we talked about before, is whether it's okay to eat certain foods... There were certain foods that the, that the Jewish law said you couldn't eat. But that was under the old law. So now, because of Christ, can we eat those foods or, or not eat those foods? That was one of the disputes in those days that divided churches and divided, divided families. Um, there was other issues that were similar to that, but that's the one Paul's talking about. Oh, another was, you know, what days do we observe? Our holy days. Because there was the Sabbath day. So now, under the, now, that, now that we're Christians, do we have to do, observe the Sabbath day that the Jews do? And there were fights, disagreements in the church over these issues. And they weren't minor issues, but the church was being divided over these issues. And this is the, this is, those were the issues. Now, we have different issues today, but we do the same thing. So Paul says in verse one, 5, One esteems one day above another, the other esteems all days alike. Let each be firmly convinced in his own mind. Verse down, go down to verse 7. For none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. In other words, we, we look at these issues over what I believe is right and what you believe is right. But we don't live to ourselves since we're one body. We need to see what's going on. Verse 8. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. In other words, we belong to Him. We're His body. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For this reason Christ died and rose again, that He might be Lord of both the living and the dead. Verse, um, yeah, verse 10. This is where I want to get. So why do you judge your brother? But how could he have voted for that person? What kind of Christian is he that he voted for that person? What kind of Christian is he that he's doing this? Why do you judge your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. So then let each of us give an account for himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather this. I'll stop there a second. James says it even more strongly. James says when you judge your brother, you have put yourself in God's place. You have put yourself in the place of the lawgiver when you judge your brother. say, well, aren't we supposed to judge certain things? Yes, we're supposed to judge fruit, but not the person. 
we're supposed to judge, you know, the Bible says judge prophecy. We're supposed to judge whether that's of God or not. That's fine. But not the person. Not the person. And Satan loves to confuse this. How can that person vote for that person? How can that person say those things? How can that person? And when we judge the person, we begin to tear the body apart. A tear comes in our heart towards that person, and that's Christ. And then an opening comes for Satan to come in that tear. But let us not put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in your brother's way. He goes down to say, um, talks about, you know, therefore I'm going to judge, I'm going I'm to treat my brother. In other words, if, if, if I know it's okay to eat meat that's been sacrificed to an idol, and Denny invites me to dinner, don't he? And you know, and they, and they ask, somebody, ask the, and somebody else is there and asks the question, where did this steak come from? I'm not, if, if it's going to offend them, I'm not going to eat it. I have the freedom to, but I'm not going to because I'm more concerned by what this is going to do to my brother's walk with Christ than I am exercising my own freedom. That's why this whole fight over Mass is so stupid. People say, well, I've got my freedom not to wear my mask. Great! You exercise that to yourself, but not here. Because not everybody here is at that place of faith, and most likely you're not either. You think you're somewhere you're not. Find yourself in an emergency room and we'll find out where your faith is. Verse 16, Therefore do not let your good be spoken evil of, for the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking. The kingdom of God is not wearing masks or not wearing masks. The kingdom of God is not who you voted for. The kingdom of God is not this issue and that issue and this issue and that issue that divides the the body of Christ. For the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, 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 and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore pursue the things which make for peace and the things which may edify one another. I missed the verse in chapter 14 that says, Why are you judging another man's servant? Why are you judging my servant, God says? Why, why are you judging my, my, my part of my body? Why, who do you think you are to judge my servant? Because I can make him stand. In fact, I will. Chapter 15, we'll have to close with this quickly. Verse 1. So we then who are strong, so you think you're so strong in your faith, then you ought to bear with the scruples or the weaknesses of the weak and not to please yourself or to show how strong your faith is. Our focus shouldn't be on my rights. Our focus shouldn't be on what I know I can do. But my focus should be is what do you need? What does my brother need? How can I help strengthen them? Instead of judging their weakness, condemning their weakness, because you're judging Christ. You're condemning Christ because you're all one of his body with his. And unless you're not, 
Because here's the problem. Eventually, if we continue to see ourselves as separate, Satan will pull you out. So I don't think that can happen. Well, you're wrong. I don't have time to go into that today. Eventually, Satan can pull you out. It's not easy, but it can happen. Why do you think he's working so hard to separate you? To see yourself as separate? To walk with these issues, whatever they may be. It may be unforgiveness. It may be something somebody did to you or said to you. It's not just these issues. Anything that keeps us from seeing ourselves as one body in Christ. Satan is so threatened by that because he understands what the church does not understand. He understands what was behind Jesus' prayer to his Father, that they may be one. Because, Father, if they're really one in heart, if they're really caring for one another, not just because it's a good thing to do, because they recognize they are my body in the earth, then what's going to happen is that world's going to be able to walk in that back door. And whatever's being sung here or said, they're going to walk in that door and they're going to feel the presence of Christ. Not because we look the same, not because we sing so well, not because we have such a great worship team, which we do, not because of any of those things, because they can feel His presence here. We're praying, we want the Holy Spirit's presence here. He's here! But He's bound up in each one of us because we're trying to protect our own territory, protect our own rights, defend my reputation, defend what people think of me, or, or just selfishly holding back on the gifts God's given me to use. There are many applications of this. The Spirit of God is here. I'm speaking this by the Spirit now. He's here. He's in this room right now. He's in you. Jesus promised, where two or more of you gather in my name, there am I in your midst. How come we're not seeing great things happen? Because we are see, we're individuals holding on to Him for ourselves. And only He can break those walls down. So I want to leave you with three things to consider. Three applications to ask yourself. And we don't have the time to do it now. Number one, and these are in my notes if you download them, what's the biggest issue that I have with other Christians? You'll be honest with yourself. God already knows, so don't, you're not hiding it from Him. What's the biggest issue that I have with other Christians? When I see a certain Christian, or so, what, what goes off in me? I learned a long time ago, if, if I see somebody or hear their name, somebody maybe said something or did something to me or caused people to leave the church, and I got it in, in me when I, there's something I'm still in there I got to deal with. And I, had to, I did this this week. I reached out to somebody that had caused me harm. And it felt so good because I felt the love of Christ flow through me because we're brothers and sisters. Secondly, so the first was, what's the biggest issue I have with other Christians? Number two, how does Christ see them differently than I see them? Who's the person that gives you the most trouble in church? Who's the person that gives you... It doesn't have to be in church. And then ask yourself, and do this prayerfully, how, how does Christ see them? Lord, show me how you see them. Early on in our marriage, when I was a Christian, I was struggling with some things that I just I couldn't understand, because I, but I realized later it's because she's a woman. That's why I didn't understand and I began to pray every morning, God, show me how you see Anita. 
Show me how you see her. Help me to reach out to her and respond to her as you see her. It'll change you. And then the third thing is, what do I need to change? See, we want other people to change. But your reaction to them shows what you need to change, not them. I've found, and I'll end with this, I've found that when somebody says something or does something, and it really irks me, it's because there's something in me that's like what they've done. Remember what Jesus said, why do you try to take the, the, the speck out of your brother's eye when there's a beam of the same material in your eye? What, what, do you, what do you think allows you to see that splinter of wood in their eye? Because you're looking through a beam of the same material. Because when somebody says something, and I know I'm, I know I'm right, I know that's right, and they say something, I don't get upset. I may feel for them, I may want to help them, but it doesn't set me off. What sets me off is when there's something off in me. So I've learned when I get a reaction like that to ask myself, ask the Lord, why did I react that way? Why did I get so upset when somebody said that? Why do I get so upset when I see that on the news? Why, do I, why does that make me so upset? Jesus didn't get upset except for things that were his father's issues, but never for himself. Father, we come to you now. We see we have a lot of growing to do. But we're so grateful for the grace in which we stand. That we can look at these issues in our life, these things that need to change, and we're not looking them from outside of Christ to find out what we have to do to get in you. But we're looking at these issues from already being part of you for what we need to allow you to change in our lives. Your Spirit is moving in hearts today. Your Spirit is moving in church today to bring about this wholeness, this oneness, in answer to Jesus' prayer over 2,000 years ago. And so today, Father, in this church, in our families, in our relationships with one another. We come alongside of Jesus and we make His prayer our prayer, Father, that we all may be one, truly one of heart, one of identity, just as You are one with Jesus, so that the world may know who He is, and that you sent him and that you love them as much as you love him. Only your spirit can do this, but we know he's infinitely capable to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we ask or think this morning. And so we give you thanks in advance. In Jesus' name.